1: Welcome to Micro. I'm Drew Hawkins, and this episode is part of an interview series for Miami Book Fair, where members of Team Micro—that's myself, Dylan Evers, Mamey Kaufman, and Kirsten Renault—interview authors appearing at the fair about their work. For more information about their programming and to check out the incredible roster of authors appearing this year, visit miamibookfair.com, and be sure to follow them at Miami Book Fair and hashtag Miami Book Fair 2022 for more updates. Now. Back to the show. Welcome to Micro. I'm Maimei Kaufman, and today I'm speaking with award-winning and New York Times best-selling novelist, TV writer, and showrunner Megan Abbott. We'll be talking about her latest novel, The Turnout, published by Putnam last year, and winner of the Los Angeles Times Book Prize for Mystery Thriller. To start the show, we've asked her to select and read a passage from the book, so here's Megan Abbott reading from The Turnout. Enjoy.
0: They were dancers, their whole lives nearly. They were dancers who taught dance and taught it well as their mother had. Every girl wants to be a ballerina. That's what their brochures said, their posters, their website, the sentence scrolling across the screen in stately cursive. The Durant School of Dance, established 1986 by their mother, a former soloist with the Alberta Ballet, took up the top two floors of a squat, rusty brick office building downtown. It had become theirs after their parents died on a black ice night more than a dozen years ago, their car car corrooming across the highway median. When an enterprising local reporter learned it had been their 20th wedding anniversary, he wrote a story about them, noting their hands were interlocked even in death. Had one of them reached out to the other in those final moments, the reporter wondered to readers, or had they been holding hands all along? All these years later, the story of their parents' end, passed down like lore, still seemed unbearably romantic to their students. Less so to Marie, who insisted, after sobbing violently next to her sister Dara through the funeral, I never saw them hold hands once. But the Durant family had always been exotic to others, even back when Dara and Marie were little girls floating up and down the front steps of that big old house. The one with the rotting gingerbread trim on Sycamore, the one everyone called the Hansel and Gretel house. Dara and Marie with their long necks and soft voices, their matching buns and duck-footed gait, swathed in scratchy winter coats, their pink tights dotting the snow, Now, more than two decades later, the Durant School of Dance was theirs. All day, six days a week, for the past more than a dozen years, Dara and Marie taught in the cramped, cozy confines of the same ashen building their mother had once reigned in. Steamy and pungent in the summer and frigid, its windows snow blurred in the winter, the studio never changed and was forever slowly falling apart often thick with must overnight rain, leaving weeping pockets in every ceiling corner, dripping on students' noses. But it didn't matter because the students always came. The Durant School of Dance was an institution. Children, teens came from three counties to take classes there. They came with sprightly dreams and limber bodies and hard little muscles and hungry lean bellies and a desire to enter into the fairy tale that is danced to little girls and a few special little boys. They all wanted to participate in the storied Durant tradition set forth by their mother 30 or more years ago. Encore, achapé, achapé, watch those knees. Their mother, her voice subdued yet steely, striding across the floor, guiding everything, mastering everything. But now was Dara's and Marie's voices, Dara's low and flinty shoulders down, lift that leg higher, higher. And Marie's light and lilting, Marie calling out, here comes the mouse king to all her five-year-olds and bending her feet and hands into claws, the girls screaming with pleasure. Everything worked, nothing ever changed.
1: Thank you so much for that. I am really, I'm so glad you read that particular passage because it reminded me of something that I would neglected to put in my notes, which is the setting. <laughs> the Durant School of Dance is practically another character in this novel. How did you go about creating this fictional physical space and tie it so closely to both the action of the novel and each of its characters' internal landscapes?
0: That's such a good question because it's one of those things that you, I don't at least really plan. I, that isn't part of when I think about the book. I think about character foremost and then story plot uh, just to make sure I have uh, have crafted some, something to to sort of uh, want to run along ahead of the book uh, to see what will happen. But it just kind of emerged as I was writing. I do, you know, I did, of course, like most girls uh, did try ballet as a little girl. And the space was so, you too. So it's, it's space is really significant because it's very cloistered environment. You're, it is really bodies on bodies and mirrors everywhere. And it's so, I mean, I can still remember the dance studio. Mm-hmm. And then I haven't been in since I was nine years old. So it it, it just started to gradually become its own, own character. And then because there's a character a contractor who's actually working on the physical space, then that opened up all these doors to sort of use this space too as you say it really is another character
1: yeah if, if someone says the phrase studio b like i feel shivers yeah. I'm like, oh not studio <laughs> b any sentence that began with that i'm like oh gosh it's so tense <laughs> um yeah same here i think it's been i was probably seven the last time i was in my ballet studio and i could i could draw you a blueprint a floor plan of that exact building including the corners where the resin would be did yeah. I say it right? Resin? Is that what they put on the uh, Oh, Oh my gosh. Um, So as I said, and obviously to any listeners, I've been a fan of yours for years. And one thing I always look forward to um, when I'm starting one of your books is no matter the subject, the research, you seem to become an expert in whatever field your narratives are set. Some examples being cheerleading, contagion, mass hysteria, gymnastics, and my favorite, chemist studying blood in a research lab. (laughs) Can you tell us how research informed your writing process for the turnout?
0: It it really is the thing that gets me excited about the book. I I really have to kind of live in the world of it and the only way to do that is to sort of paper it with knowledge or you know or with and it, it is funny because I do forget everything after I finish the book. If someone asked me a question about gymnastics now, I would be hard pressed to answer it. But it it just is what like it's sort of the you get the details that make it feel real. Um, you get the odd, if you research enough, especially Unlikely areas. I mean, a lot of the ballet. I was watching um, YouTube rehearsals. It was not seeing live performances, which I certainly did. But you know, YouTube. A lot of studios will will put their rehearsals on YouTube, and so you really get the behind the scenes stuff um, and this, the odd detail and the you know all the stuff about preparing point shoes. Was I mean? There's thousands of videos on YouTube about different techniques that dancers have. Um, and that was like the whole book to me—the the obsessiveness and the and the you know firmness every dancer had that the way that they prepared their point shoes was the way to do it. So that stuff is what what tells you that this is the book. You have a book uh, mm-hmm. because those feel so vivid and real and if you're not in that world you wouldn't know about it and if you are in that world you you think oh this is this you know she she did her job she she, she looked into the matter though I do also ha- always have an expert fact checker um based on like I had a dancer read this a dancer who also is a dance teacher and who also weirdly is a fr- now a forensic psychologist <laughs> so she was useful pair up for you for this book yeah. Yeah. She was very helpful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a little familiar with the world of ballet, as I mentioned, but I, my heart still stopped in one of the early scenes when Marie is taking a hammer to her point shoes yeah. and, and like on purpose, this is a thing they do. I was amazed by that. And all the
0: very, scoring. Controversial. very controversial technique, the hammer, I would say many dancers would say don't ever do, a hammer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, yeah, as you say, the scoring with the razors that is much, that is very common. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um. So, obviously, speaking of ballet, um, I would guess that a lot of readers would come to this book with preconceived notions about ballet, the nutcracker, and both what women and men ballet dancers are like. So I'm curious as to what are some of the expectations you wanted to either correct or subvert in this book?
0: Yeah, I thought about that a lot. There's certain things that are really easy to, like there's certain stereotypes about about ballet, um, particularly around the body and eating disorders and sensitive subjects that I think can be very can be easily exploited in these books and have been. And I know that a lot of dancers really bristle at that. So while there are a few references because obviously there are certain demands um, as an athlete, which dancers are that require certain, Dietary standards and so forth. Um, though that's changing a lot now too. Um, that was something I wanted to avoid, and and um, and just sort of because um, I also something that dancers you know, they they really feel that it's exploitive. And I don't know, they also don't like it if there's anything dramatic that happens in there, which is hilarious, because of course I do write crime novels. So definitely dramatic things are going to happen, but it doesn't really have to do with, is it my claim about ballet leads to violence? <laughs> it's just that my, my books lead to violence. in the world, so. um, But the Nutcracker was uh, the biggest surprise to me because I just always go see the Nutcracker here at the New York City Ballet every year. I did never really probed that story. And so the the elements of that story and how like Freudian and complex it is and how much it's about... Um, you know womanhood coming into womanhood uh was a surprise even to me so i had to put that in there
1: (laughs) you had to i'm so glad you did because when i think the nutcracker i think christmas of course you know i always went and saw it with my family every single christmas and and yet of course i was reading this book um just last month in september getting ready for spooky season and i was like
0: this is so much better suited for halloween this is terrifying (laughs) It's a really scary. The original story is very scary and I didn't even put half the stuff that happens in that in the original story in there. But, you know, it was it did get become very sanitized when George Balanchine made wanted to make it into this, you know, things that every families could go to to get people to come to the ballet, and it's but but the stuff is still in there. Once you know that, you watch it differently. You you do see the metaphor still stands. I think, and I think little girls implicitly understand it too. They see Clara's story as 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 the story of girlhood.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. So. Speaking of, you know, the way that you, all of your books have crime and this stuff, this book is ominous from page one. <laughs> and without giving any spoilers away, I'll say that I was staying up very late. I'm someone who goes to bed at like nine o'clock and I was like pushing 1 a.m. one night reading because uh, I couldn't wait to find out who was going to die and who was going to do the killing. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, even after we get that amazing scene, you know, where it goes down, the suspense is still super high. And I'm just, from a craft point of view, how do you set up and sustain that kind of tension for a whole novel?
0: That is the hardest thing, it, it because it's so, uh, you're really trying to, I really think very much about the reader in the abstract way through the entire book. I mean, a lot of people write for themselves, or they write because they believe in the story. I really only write for the reader. I want the reader to, I, I, it's like a game that I want to play with the reader, where, you know, maybe the reader's a little ahead of me, but not, not, not you know, I kind of want to sort of keep that alive throughout so I really do try to really embed myself in the main character in this case Dara's brain so that her sense of dread becomes our sense of dread and that was really the trick with this one is she has so much more to hide than then you know, we realize until very deep into the book and, you know, people complain sometimes about too many unreliable narrators, but the truth is we're all unreliable narrators and uh, we, ne- we don't really know what we would do in certain situations. And we all kind of, you know, we all have the ways we talk about our family history, which is the case that she's sort of something that she's not quite revealing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of it is like pull, like pulling back the layers in a really organic way that then creates this sense of constant momentum. Like we still haven't gotten to the bottom of this. There's still more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Up until the very last pages, I was like, what more can possibly be revealed here? <laughs> Yeah, and I was amazed at how there could be surprises, like you said, from you know our main ner- main narrator character Dara, and yet i never felt like I'd been lied to up Good.
0: until that point. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I mean it's a, surprises still. It surprised me a little. There was one revelation that I had not anticipated, but then it became clear to me that that was also something that was going on without revealing it. And it be and it came because it organically came out of Dara for me, about the way Dara sees the world and, and the source of her shame, um, which is the things that we most sort of tell ourselves tell ourselves stories about to 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 as joan didion would say <laughs> we tell ourselves stories in order to live uh um and i think um that's true interpersonally too so i think um <clears throat> you know she's has things she's got to bury pretty deep so they're not going to come out until they have to yeah can't blame her for that yes
1: <laughs> um Okay. So finally, I can't believe I'm saying finally, I don't want to, but finally something we're asking everyone this season, what were you reading as you wrote The Turnout?
0: Boy, I, I mean, at the beginning, I was reading a lot of books centered around ballet. Um, I certainly did a lot of that at the beginning, but then I stopped doing that because you, you have to kind of, or I have to kind of set the research down. So I, I tend to really go far. I don't tend to read a lot of other novels when I'm deep into the book because I don't want to pick up the voice or get confused. So I tend to Favor. I read a lot of like movie star biographies of um, uh a lot Aww. of stuff like the glamour quotient is sometimes really appealing, like you know, the lives of Elizabeth Taylor or something. So then I'm sort of in this case, you know, in that world of kind of glamour and powerful women, but I'm not um I'm not in the world of other thrillers, for instance, which would might derail me. I mean, certain voices, some of the writers I love most. I really slowly start to copy them if I'm reading them, and I don't mean literally copy, but the the rhythms. If I'm reading Donna Tart, it's all going to sound like Donna Tart, you know. I Shirley Jackson, it's all going to sound like Shirley Jackson. So i i really have I really want to, but but you know, I'm not going to sound like Catherine um, Hepburn in her memoirs. <laughs> so it's a it's a good way to um, you know really make sure you're not distracting from you know the story you need to be telling.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. This was absolutely wonderful. And everyone, be sure to stop by and see Megan Abbott at Miami Book Fair, November 13th through 20th in beautiful Miami, Florida, and pick up a copy of her latest novel, The Turnout, available at your favorite bookstore and on Audible. Megan Abbott, thank you so much for stopping by.
0: Oh, thank you. This was such a pleasure.